Welcome to Practice Makes Purpose, where we explore the frontiers of human potential. I'm C. Paul Schroeder, and today we're exploring synergism, the magic of leaning into conflict and tension. The year is 1985, and a group of engineers are trying to solve a mysterious problem with a new type of solid fuel booster rocket. Unlike other rockets built on well-known existing technology, this engine is of an entirely new design without any previous track record, and the engineers are still getting to know its quirks. In testing, the rocket performs flawlessly, but the engineers keep finding small signs that hot gases are escaping where they shouldn't be. Rubber seals in the rocket show traces of erosion, tiny scorch marks where the seals have been partially eaten away. The pinpoint charring is never deeper than a third of a radius, that is, a little less than 17%, and the engineers have cause to believe the seals can sustain erosion of up to one full radius. So they determine that the seals have a safety factor of three. It would take three times the highest recorded variance for the rocket to fail. In test after test, the erosion never exceeds a third of a radius. The rocket continues to perform without any issues, right up until the day that it didn't. And that was the day that the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, killing all seven crew members aboard. Dick Scobie, Michael J. Smith, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Judith Resnick, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe, who was to have been the first teacher in space. In his book, What Do You Care What Other People Think? Further Adventures of a Curious Character, Nobel Prize-winning physicist Richard Feynman puzzles over the question, how could the engineers have gotten it so wrong? After all, the signs of danger were there, but the engineers chose to ignore them, coming up with rationalizations that allowed them to set aside their misgivings about the rocket. As Feynman puts it, saying the rocket had a safety factor of three because the seals were only a third of a radius burned away is like saying that a bridge has a safety factor of three because the girders only cracked a third of the way through when a heavy truck drove over it. Girders aren't meant to crack with use, and seals aren't meant to burn away either. Feynman was part of the Rogers Commission, a distinguished blue ribbon committee hand-selected by President Ronald Reagan to investigate the Challenger explosion. During the investigation, Feynman spent a great deal of time with the engineers, coaxing information from them in his casual, easygoing way. He eventually came to the conclusion that the Challenger explosion was much more than the failure of a critical component. It was the failure of a team. Administrators at NASA were on record saying that the shuttle was safe, that the chances of a catastrophic failure were less than one in a hundred thousand. This was an extraordinary assertion. If true, it would mean NASA could launch one shuttle a day for 300 years with only a single loss. When Feynman polled the engineers, they said they thought the chances of failure were more like one in a hundred, a far more realistic assessment in Feynman's view. But it was clear the administration did not want to hear from the engineers that the shuttle was less safe than they had publicly maintained. So when troubling signs appeared, the engineers came up with explanations that fit with what the administrators wanted to hear, rather than risking conflict with their superiors. We've all heard the saying, 
the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. This is an expression borrowed from the branch of psychology known as Gestalt. The saying is a commonplace, but it's also a misconception. Kurt Kafka, one of the founders of Gestalt theory to whom this expression is often attributed, never actually said the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. He said the whole is different from the sum of its parts. In fact, the whole is not always greater than the sum of its parts. Sometimes it's less. When teams engage in groupthink, when leaders are not open to criticism, when cherished notions become sacred cows that cannot be challenged, then the whole becomes less than the sum of its parts. Critical failures can occur that threaten the entire enterprise. In his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, psychologist, brain researcher, and Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman describes a particular kind of cognitive bias, the inside view. This is a kind of myopia to which teams working together on projects are especially subject. Groups affected by the inside view tend to be overly optimistic in their assessment of their own abilities while minimizing the effect of unknown and unexpected challenges. Thus, they grossly underestimate the possibility of negative outcomes or unforeseen consequences. The administrators at NASA may have been affected by a form of this bias. Since there had never been a major issue with the space shuttle before, it was easy to think the possibility of a catastrophic failure was remote, and things would simply continue as they always had. According to Kahneman, what can help teams immensely in such situations is getting an outside view, deliberately seeking the perspective of people from outside the circle. Outsiders frequently display an uncanny form of beginner's luck in such situations because they are not wedded to the assumptions of the insiders. Outsiders ask questions the group isn't asking, and they may see things the group has collectively decided to ignore. But teams often avoid doing this because listening to outsiders' views can be uncomfortable their perspective may strike a dissonant note, like fingernails on a chalkboard. People who work together over a long period of time tend to sync up in their language, their thinking, and their activities. They enter a state of flow that is smooth and uninterrupted and feels great. Then, when a new team member or someone from outside the circle interjects something different, it feels jarring. It disrupts the flow, introducing tension and conflict into the group. Conflict is unpleasant, and we naturally tend to avoid it. In situations of conflict, we see other people not as partners and allies, but as enemies. We regard outsiders as suspect, even dangerous. Our evolutionary threat level goes up. Our fight-or-flight mechanism, part of our brain that was originally intended to protect us from real threats, like bears in the wilderness, is now engaged toward coworkers, friends, even intimate partners. In order to prevent bad outcomes from happening, we have to be willing to enter the uncomfortable zone of conflict. Creating a space for the dissenting opinion and disruptive voice is one of the most challenging things a team can do. But when we step into the zone of conflict and tension with intention, something magical can happen. There is a hidden genius that is released, like a genie from a bottle. The ancients had a word for this kind of magic. They called it synergism. This refers to the power that is generated 
when two different elements combine to create an effect that is greater than they would have had separately. Synergism is a term taken from alchemy, and nowhere is its potency more evident than in the alchemy of human relationships. You may know alchemy as the quest to turn lead into gold, but alchemy was actually the science of transformation, and it wasn't just about metals. It was also about transforming the human person. Like many reactions, synergism requires a catalyst. It is only activated in the presence of conflict. Without this dynamic tension, our interactions remain static and inert. The whole remains less than the sum of its parts. Only when we are willing to lean into conflict and tension does the whole become greater than the sum of the parts. So how do we engage synergism in our everyday lives? In my book, Practice Makes Purpose, I outline four simple steps for engaging situations of conflict and tension in a healthy and productive way. These four steps are the basic elements of the spiritual practice of cooperative building. The first step is to observe the tension that builds whenever someone proposes an idea that is different from your own. You might notice your muscles tensing, your body stiffening, your chest tightening, or your jaw clenching. Don't resist or try to change anything. Just recognize the tension for what it is, energy manifesting in your body. There is nothing good or bad about it. We can use this energy in destructive ways or channel it to transform our relationships. Second, lower your defenses. This can be very hard to do in the moment when we're emotionally flooded or triggered. I find that it helps to remind myself, even to say out loud, that I am not under threat and that the other person is a partner and collaborator, not an enemy. Instead of becoming oppositional or fighting what the other person is proposing, I make a conscious effort to relax into the tension and let down my guard. The third step is to engage a playful mindset. Playfulness is a supple, flexible quality of the mind. Like a bow that generates power when it is bent, a flexible mindset converts tension into energy for change. Without making any commitments, try the other person's ideas on for size, just for fun, so to speak. Give yourself permission to play with an approach that is different from your own. Finally, focus on the process rather than the product or outcome. Gently set aside any fixed ideas you may have about how things should turn out. You can always go back to them later. Instead, redirect your attention to the cooperative endeavor, anticipating that something new and unexpected is about to appear. Let the process work its magic. There is a mantra that I like to use to help me practice cooperative building. It's a phrase that helps release the dynamism and tension and generate power for personal and community transformation. When I notice tension rising, I take a breath and say, I co-create a new reality. When I use this mantra, I remind myself that I'm not the one solely creating the result. If I follow my own inclinations, I'll do the same things I've always done and I'll get to the same place I've always been. Nothing new will happen. It's only in this creative tension with another person that something new can emerge. I'm co-creating something, 
and this opens up space for the surprising and unexpected. I'm interested because I am waiting for something new and unforeseen to emerge. That's what synergism is all about. A mantra can be considered a kind of prayer, although this mantra will work even if you don't believe in a god. I like to think of the mantra as a bargain with the universe. I am committing to something, and the universe is going to do something in return. In my experience, the universe drives hard bargains, and I often get more than I expect. So if you use the mantra, I co-create a new reality, don't expect that conflict will disappear and you will magically start getting along with everyone. If anything, be prepared for the tension in your relationships to increase. This isn't a sign that anything is wrong. The universe is taking you up on your offer. There is a cost to avoiding conflict. One of the lessons of the Challenger disaster is that terrible outcomes can result when we seek to insulate ourselves from uncomfortable truths. We can honor the courage of the Challenger astronauts by bravely entering the uncomfortable zone of conflict and tension. The power of synergism is released whenever we listen to people who speak from outside our own circle. We can harness this power to transform ourselves and our world by leaning into discomfort instead of avoiding it. So many of the big conversations that need to happen today are really about prioritizing dissident voices. Voices about race, about wealth, about class and privilege. Conversations like these can feel extremely uncomfortable, but we have to learn how to create space for them. We have to be willing to feel the tension rising and recognize it for what it is. The energy for transformation we need in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We have to be willing to embrace dissonant voices in such a way that we actually create something new. By doing so, we are consciously crafting a more cooperative community for ourselves and for future generations. We are co-creating a new reality. I'm C. Paul Schroeder, and you've been listening to Practice Makes Purpose exploring the frontiers of human potential. Find me online at www.sixpractices.com. Our podcast is engineered by David Kessler, who also composed our theme. Additional music was composed by From the Dust, Dexter Britton, and Celestial Aeon Project.